Hello and welcome to Codish, an exploration of the lives of modern developers. Join us as we dive into topics like languages and frameworks, data and event-driven architectures, and individual and team productivity, all tailored to developers and engineering leaders. This episode is part of our Heroku in the Wild series. Hi, I'm Corey Martin, a customer solutions architect at Heroku. I help Heroku Enterprise customers plan and scale their applications on the platform. And speaking of scaling, joining me today is Adam McRae, who owns Rails Autoscale, a successful Heroku add-on that he built and maintains in his spare time. It helps developers scale their Ruby on Rails apps on Heroku, and over 200 developers are using it right now. Adam and I are going to talk about his journey from thinking of this project, building it, launching it, growing it. We're going to talk about the ups, the downs, and everything in between. Adam, welcome to Codish. Thanks so much, Corey. I'm really excited to be here. So I want to start with the basics. What is Rails Autoscale? Yeah, so like you said, Rails Autoscale is a Heroku add-on, um, and it's an add-on for autoscaling. So to to back up a bit and talk about what autoscaling is, on Heroku, you uh, run containers called dynos, and autoscaling is just a matter of automatically determining how many dynos to run. So it scales you up when capacity needs it, and it scales you down when you have excess capacity to save you money. And Rails Autoscale is uh, an autoscaling add-on focused on Rails developers and Rails applications. So if I'm a developer, why would I use this add-on instead of just manually scaling my application or maybe over-provisioning it, etc.? Yeah, so... If you're running more than a single dyno, chances are um, it's a lot of guesswork involved for how many dynos you need to run. So it's a lot easier to let software make that decision for you. Um, in addition to, to just not having to you know, manually do the guesswork, most applications traffic and capacity fluctuates throughout the day, throughout the week. Um, so automatically scaling up and down is going to save you a lot of money um, and it's also going to give you some peace of mind that you can handle any increase in traffic that comes your way. Makes sense. So the application essentially is responding to real-time traffic changes and it's ready for it. Exactly. So how did you uh, first develop the idea for Rails Autoscale? Yeah, so that was in 2016, um, and the company that I was working for at the time as a full-time Rails developer, we had just moved our apps from Engine Yard to Heroku, which was awesome. It saved, saved us a lot of money and saved us a lot of ops headache. But we were finding that our internal application that had um, you know many users during the day and no users at night and on the weekends, um, you know, we had to have it scaled up to, you know, eight or so dynos during the day. And then just, it was just wasted money during the nights and weekends. So we knew we wanted to auto scale this app. Um, and we tried uh, a couple of the existing solutions at the time. Um, but what we found was it was just unreliable. We couldn't, we couldn't get consistent scaling behavior, uh, because most auto scaling solutions are going to um, base auto scaling using total response time. And so as total response time goes up, it would scale you up. Um, but our application, you know, it had been around a while and it had some really slow endpoints. 
Um, so total response time was not a very reliable metric to indicate a scaling issue. Um, it was more just an app performance issue. So that was sort of my inspiration to build a solution that took a bit of a different approach. And so what Rails Autoscale does is it measures request queuing time, the time that requests are sitting, waiting to be processed by your Rails application um, because your Rails application is busy doing other things. So request queue time is a bit more indicative of an actual capacity issue than total response time. Mm. So I um, initially built it as just sort of an experimental side project for the company I was working for, you know, with the idea in the back of my mind that like, if it worked out, maybe it could be a little little side business, but initially it was just kind of uh, an experiment. And yeah, it worked out great for us. Um, We we used it and it was auto-scaling us reliably for months. Um, And then, yeah, I, I decided to, uh, package it into a Heroku add-on that was late 2016, early 2017 that I was working on that. So where did you start just in terms of building this thing? You decided, I'm going to make this more general purpose. I'm going to offer it to other developers. How did you start to craft it for that more general use case? Yeah, I mean, the the initial uh, the initial application was totally, you know, hacked together with duct tape and bubble gum. It was just, it was a a quick experiment uh, that we used internally only. So, you know, once I decided, yeah, this thing is useful, I I want to turn it into um, a sellable product. You know, it took a lot of, you know, refactoring and cleaning things up, but that was also when I started reading the Heroku docs on how to build an add-on, which was actually really easy. I mean, the, the process of turning you know, any application into a Heroku add-on is a matter of wiring up a few uh, webhook endpoints to handle, you know, provisioning new resources and changing plans and and deprovisioning them Um, and handling single sign-on when somebody, you know, launches your Heroku add-on. The process of turning what was initially just an experiment into, you know, a real sellable application um, you know, it took time, especially since, you know, this was a, this was a nights and weekends thing for me, um, mm-hmm. but ultimately not complicated. And uh, yeah, the, the Heroku docs were fantastic and the whole process was really pretty seamless. So you mentioned this was a nights and weekend thing for you. How did you balance this rather major project? I mean, developers would be relying on this for their applications. It's a big deal. How did you balance that with the rest of your life, your day job, your family, etc. I'm not an expert on that. Um, that part, <laughs> that part wasn't easy and never gets easier. Um, but what made it palatable for me was that I just loved working on it. I, it was a super fun project um, that I knew would be useful to a lot of people. So, and, and I also took my time on it. You know, I knowing that it was a nights and weekends thing, I didn't expect to have it making money the the first month or even ready to put um, in the Heroku marketplace in the first month. So I really kind of allowed myself to to take my time on it. Um, I enjoyed working on it. And another huge thing was that I had my first customer from the beginning because it was the place where I was working at the time. Oh, of course. (laughs) We were already using it. And I knew as soon as I got it in the Heroku marketplace, um, they would be my my first customer. Uh, and they were in fact already using it even outside the marketplace. So 
I think that was a huge part of it really is knowing that um, all the work that I was doing, you know, it already had somebody benefiting from it. Um, and that somebody was myself and the, the other folks that I was working with at the time. Did you talk with anyone else as you were in the process of building the wider add-on about the problems they experienced in their companies and with their products? <laughs> no, I, I probably sh- <laughs> I probably should have. You know, that's sort of the uh, um, one of the cardinal rules for um, you know bootstrapping a business is you know don't don't build it in a vacuum um, and go out and talk to people and understand their pain points. But the reality is that the approach that I took on this um, was totally I was just building it for myself as I wanted it to exist and just hoping that uh, the problems that I was solving for myself were going to solve problems for other people as well. Not necessarily an approach that I would recommend, but an approach that you know, I, I got lucky with this time. You were confident in it though, because you had seen it solve your own problems. I did feel that confidence. And I think that's you know why I didn't feel the need to go out and, and talk to um, a bunch of other folks. Uh, you know, and I also, you know, I had no experience doing, you know, customer interviews and that kind of thing. You know, naturally, I just gravitated toward writing the software instead of going out and doing a bunch of customer interviews. But as you say, yeah, I I knew that it was already solving a pain point that we had felt really confident that we were not the only ones with that pain point. Right. So bring us to the moment where you got your first bit of feedback from a customer that wasn't yourself. When I did finally get some folks using Rails Autoscale, um, that I didn't know. It was actually frustrating at first because it's really hard to get people to respond to you. Um, and maybe maybe especially so because my customers are developers and um, you know developers just kind of want you to leave them alone and let them do their thing, um, which I can relate to. But yeah, so you know as, as folks started signing up for Rails Autoscale and using it, you know initially I was reaching out to all of them, individually, you know, there was no automation in place. It was, I would see somebody sign up for it. I would write them an email. Um, and very, very few people responded. And that was hard. That was, was, and is one of the harder parts of running this is, um, I want to hear more from my customers, but, uh, I don't hear a lot from my customers on one hand. That's a good thing. I don't, I don't have a lot of support load. Um, you know, even, even today with, um, you know, over 200 paying customers, like I, I hear from maybe two or three a week. Um, mm. And early on, obviously, with only a handful of customers, it was much less than that. So uh, that's, that's been a struggle. When I do hear from folks, it's, it's, you know, it's a highlight of my day, you know, even when somebody's asking a question that I got to dig into. Um, I love interacting with my customers. And I've gotten a lot of positive feedback. So that. Um, that customer interaction is one of the parts of running this thing that I love. Have you made changes to the product directly due to what you hear from a customer? Most of the changes that I make these days are directly coming from uh, customer feedback. So, you know, the the latest um, major addition to Rails Autoscale earlier this year um, is autoscaling worker dynos. So initially it was just web dynos and now it can, um, you know, auto scale like sidekick processes. And that's something that a lot of customers were asking for. It's also something that I needed myself. So it was kind of a combination, you know, rails auto scale itself uses sidekick and I wanted the ability to auto scale my worker dynos. And I think a lot of, a lot of the features that I've added are like that. It's a combination of thing of, of pain points that I've experienced 
and customer feedback. Let's talk a bit about that new feature for scaling worker dynos. What's the use case there? Why would a company want to do that? Yeah, so similar to web dynos, um, you, you know, you can choose, you know, how many how many processes you're running essentially. So in the case of of Sidekick. Starting out, you're probably just going to have a single um, dyno running sidekick, and it's processing your background jobs, you know, as quickly as you can queue them. But as you grow, you, just like your web process, um, you're going to hit capacity on your worker dynos. You're going to start putting too many jobs in, in your in your sidekick queues, and they're going to get backed up, and and that's no good. So you need to um, increase your worker capacity. So you're going to add worker dynos, and just like web dynos, that volume is almost never consistent. It fluctuates. Um, and if you just sort of cranked up your dynos manually, anytime you ran into a, a bit of a pain point, you're going to be overscaled almost all the time. So just like web dynos, it makes a lot of sense to automate that based on um, capacity measurements instead of just you know making it guesswork and cranking it up and forgetting about it. So it sounds like Rails Autoscale has two sides. One is scaling an application, a web-facing application in response to user user traffic or um, uh, amount of request queuing, as you said, where you need to scale up that user-facing endpoint. The other side is your background jobs that aren't necessarily user-facing, but they have the, their own ebbs and flows as well. Yeah. And ultimately for any of these things, um, speed is what matters, you know, for, for your web front end, you want your web front end to be as fast as possible for your users. You, you don't want that to slow down. And on the background jobs, even though users aren't directly waiting on background jobs to complete, you still need those background jobs to be completed in a, in a timely fashion, whatever that is, um, whatever you define for your app and your particular background cues. So ultimately, the auto scaling is all about making sure your web requests and your background jobs are um, completing as fast as possible within whatever thresholds you define. So I want to talk a little bit more about growth. When you started this product, you mentioned you had reached out to your first customers and asked how it was going. You didn't necessarily hear back. How did those first customers find you? The first customers. So I'm gonna I'm gonna talk a little bit about um, the process of introducing an add-on into the um, Heroku marketplace because there's there's multiple phases. You start out as an alpha add-on, and anybody can build an alpha add-on. Um, I don't think you even need Heroku's approval to do so. Um, and an, in the alpha stage. You're not listed in the add-on marketplace, but if, if you explicitly invite someone through their email, then they can install your add-on um, manually through the command line interface. Um, and obviously, so at that point, you can't charge anybody either. So um, you need to get 10 customers in that alpha stage before you go to the beta stage. Um, the beta stage is when you're in the add-on marketplace, but you've got a little beta um, flag on your add-on and you still can't charge anybody yet. So people can find you, they can in install your add-on, um, but you can't charge for it yet. So it's, it's free for them. And then once you get through the beta phase um, and, you, and, and you get approval, you go to general availability and then you're in there for real and you can charge folks. So 
early on when I was alpha, I was basically reaching out to friends and people I knew saying, please install this because I need, <laughs> I need 10 customers to be able to even get into the marketplace. Uh-huh. And really the folks who, the folks who I reached out to, you know, I tried to find people I knew um, that would actually use it and get benefit from it. But a lot of the folks that I ended up reaching out to, you know, they, they either, you know, they, they didn't have a Rails app on Heroku at that time, or it was just a tiny Rails app that didn't need multiple dynos or whatever. So most of those folks, they, they installed the add-on for me so that I could get my first 10 customers, but they weren't really using it. So I wasn't really getting any valuable feedback from them. Um, once I got into beta though, and I got in the marketplace, then people just naturally found me through the marketplace. And this is when folks were installing it that I've never met before and they've never met me. Um, they just found me in the marketplace and decided to give it a shot. And that was incredibly exciting when people just, people I've never known in my life just, you know, found my add-on and installed it. And then I could see, you know, even if I couldn't necessarily get them to email me back, I, I could see that they'd enabled auto scaling and that it was scaling up and down, that they were getting value from it, which was, which was awesome. Wow. Um, but yeah, ultimately, like I, I wasn't doing any marketing or anything. It was just being listed in the marketplace. Um, they, they found me there. And did these original customers, are some of them still with you to this day? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, naturally, you know, some of those folks who who tried it early on, um, you know, maybe they don't have a Heroku app or anything anymore. So, you know, some of them certainly dropped off, but a lot of them are still with me to this day. Uh, one of the great things about this type of product where it's an add-on and it's something that um, remains useful over time is that there's very little churn. You know, most most of my customers who sign up for it, they end up using it for, for a long, long time, um, you know, until they no longer have an app on Heroku for whatever reason. Speaking of platform and growth, so you mentioned that many customers found you in the marketplace when you were getting started, and this really helped you initially grow. For a developer who's thinking about building a side project and wondering do I build on top of a platform like Heroku? I'd love your thoughts on the experience of doing that, the considerations that a developer might think about when they're considering building on top of a platform and how the experience has been for you. Yeah, I am a, a huge proponent proponent of building, um, especially a side project in a marketplace like this. So there's a lot of things that, I just got for free. One was the exposure, you know, being in that marketplace. The reality is if, if, if you're not in a, a marketplace like that, it doesn't matter how good your product is if no one sees it. And I have no marketing experience. I'm not great at marketing. Um, so I really wanted from the beginning to have at least a place where people could come and find my app without me, um, without being completely dependent upon marketing efforts to, to get the word out. Another huge benefit to me as, you know, being running it as a solo side project is that I don't have to worry about billing at all. Um, you know, customers are billed directly through Heroku and then, you know, it's just a, it's just a single transfer each month into, you know, my business bank account. Um, so I don't need to worry about chargebacks or expirations or just any of the headaches that folks who need, you know, who make their own billing have to have to worry about. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I've 
built a few side projects myself. And sometimes you spend a whole month on that stuff, just the billing basics, the sign up, all the stuff that it sounds like you get for free building on top of Heroku. Yeah. So, and of course it does come with, um, with trade-offs. Anything comes with trade-offs, you know, obviously when you're, when you're building in a marketplace where, um, billing is handled for you, um, you know, there, there's a revenue share model. So, so a portion of the revenue goes to Heroku and, um, a portion comes to me, uh, well, that trade-off is easily worth it. In my opinion, um, there was, you know, as I talked a bit about the alpha and beta stage before I went to general availability in the marketplace. And the reality is like that took me from the time that I started in the beta phase. So I was available in the marketplace to the time that I went to general availability close to a year. Um, I think, between, oh, wow. yeah, I think but between nine months and a year, um, that would have gone a lot faster, you know, had I actually marketed the thing and, and been better mm-hmm. about getting the word out, but I was wholly dependent upon people just finding me in the add-on store. So that was, that was tough. Cause you know, I was, I was paying to run the service for all that time, um, while I wasn't making any money. Now, of course I didn't have a lot of users, so it was very cheap to run. I wasn't paying um, a lot out of pocket, but obviously, you know, I was putting my time into it and I wanted to be able to charge my customers. So that's a trade-off. But the flip side of that trade-off is that Heroku puts those restrictions in place to make sure that everything that's in the add-on marketplace is vetted and really high quality. It's not just something that somebody threw together in a weekend and decided to put into the marketplace. And that's that's one of the things I love about the Heroku marketplace is um, you can kind of trust that the stuff that's in there is is real. Absolutely. Let's talk a bit about marketing. So you mentioned that you've found a lot of users simply by being listed in the Heroku Elements marketplace. Aside from that, have you experimented with other marketing approaches? A little bit. You know, I have a Rails autoscale blog that I've done a little bit of writing on, but I'm not consistent with it. I started a, a, a Heroku newsletter that I completely kind of fell off of and haven't haven't sent anything to that in a long time. The thing that I tried that did work a little bit was I I have put some ads in a newsletter called Ruby Weekly. And mm-hmm. it's really hard to tell the impact of these sorts of things because my sample size is so low. You know, I get five-ish new customers signing up in a week. Um, but it fluctuates, you know, some weeks I'll have zero or one, and then a week I'll have 10 to 15. And it fluctuates so much that when I do something like, oh, I'm going to throw an ad in in this newsletter, I might seem like I get a little bit of bump when that newsletter goes out, but it could just be a natural fluctuation. So it's been really hard for me to tell um, the impact of sort of any of these efforts that I've done. And that's sort of compounded a bit by... Um, since the installation of my add-on goes through Heroku, um, it's really difficult to attribute those installations to how people found me. Mm. So when I'm running this ad in Ruby Weekly, I can know how many people clicked that ad because um, Ruby Weekly tells me that and I can see the the hits on my landing page. Um, but I have no way of knowing of the installations that I got you know, that week or whatever, how many of them just stumbled on the marketplace and how many came from the ad. So that's been a challenge. I think that's, that's another one of those challenges when you're building in a marketplace, you've got 
um, constraints like that. Yeah, trade-offs, trade-offs all around. Sure. Would you, would you say your primary user source right now is your listing in the marketplace? Absolutely. Yeah. Of, of, the, of the users that I've talked to, all of them have found me through the marketplace. I did do, um, you know, when I was working, when I was building the, the worker auto scaling, um, I did reach out to a bunch of my customers and got several of them to hop on a call with me. Um, and that's when I was, you know, kind of able to ask them, you know, how, how did you, how did you find rails auto scale? And pretty much all of them was, it was either, it was either, oh, I can't remember. Or yeah, I just, I just found it in the marketplace. I want to talk a bit about the technical bits of rails auto scale itself, sort of meta, right? Because rails auto scale itself is hosted on Heroku. Rails auto scale itself is hosted on Heroku and rails auto scale is auto scaled by rails auto scale. Whoa, my brain just melted a little. <laughs> so how how um, uh, how has that experience been? I mean, especially as it's scaled up itself, as it's served, you know, the scaling of more and more customer apps. How has Rails auto scale itself auto scaled? Yeah, I mean, so yeah, initially for the first year, um, maybe the first two years. Uh, it didn't need auto scaling because it was all just running on a single web dyno and a single worker dyno, and that was fine. As it's grown, um, and I needed multiple dynos, that's when I basically hooked Rails Auto Scale up to itself, uh, and that's been fantastic. So I tend to not really think about ops too much, and that's a you know, I think especially as a solo developer running a side project, I'm a huge proponent of using hosted services um, that abstract away a lot of the a lot of the operational stuff um, and managing servers yourself because you know as a, as a solo developer you need to be focused on building you can't be spending your time you know doing ops stuff like setting up servers and upgrading and, and all that kind of stuff it seems like your add-on has really grown and succeeded and I'm curious, what success metrics are most important to you and what are you comfortable sharing with our listeners about the success of Rails Autoscale? My definition of success for Rails Autoscale has changed over time. You know, initially when I started building it, I had um, dreams of it taking off and, you know, it was going to be my full-time thing, you know, within a year and that just hasn't happened. You know, I'm, I'm, it, it's grown every month since I've launched it um, in terms of revenue and in terms of customers. Uh, and as I said, I'm, you know, I'm over 200 customers right now. And that's probably the most important metric to me is that I want more customers each month than the previous month. But the reality that I've had to accept is that un until I really want to buckle down and pour some fuel on the marketing side of things, um, the growth is slow. I guess that would sort of be a, a recommendation that I would make to, you know, a developer who's launching a project on the side, especially a SaaS project, um, is that it just, it's going to grow a lot more slowly than you think it will. So have some patience, you know, be in it for the long haul um, mm -hmm. and don't burn yourself out. And that's kind of the approach that I've taken is I, I just, I want to enjoy working on this thing. And I do enjoy working on this thing. And the fact that it grows each month and, um, you know, brings in some extra income for me and my family. That's, that's excellent as well. You mentioned advice for other developers. If I'm thinking of building a product 
that other developers would use. What should I be thinking about as I, you know, start to devote the time and and figure out who my first customers are going to be, figure out what problems I'm solving? If you were to go back and you were at the start of building Rails Auto Scale, what do you think is most important to think about? I don't want to. I don't want to act like I'm an expert on this because, because as I've said, you know, this this thing hasn't grown into um, a full time gig for me. And I know a lot of folks have been able to do that, but I can say what's worked for me and what's been important for me: building it and solving a real problem, knowing that I had that first customer right away, was crucial for me. Um, you know, I've I've started lots of side projects in the past with the idea of building them into little side businesses, but the reality is I wasn't building them for anyone. I didn't have anybody who was going to use them from day one. And that was key for this is from day one, I started building this. And as soon as I had something working, even a little bit, um, I had somebody who was using it, you know, for real in a production environment. And that has kept me motivated from the beginning. The other advice that I would have is just to make sure that you're focused on building and don't get distracted by all the other little things, you know, playing with the newest technology and all that kind of stuff, you know, use the tools that you know, um, use tools that are going to reduce the the work that you have to do. When you've needed advice or mentorship, or you're feeling a little lost on a project, where do you go for that? Initially, I didn't, I didn't have anywhere to go for that. And that was kind of tough early on. Um, I have gotten more um, involved in sort of the bootstrapper community. Um, you know, last last year I went to MicroConf, which is a, a conference for you know independent software businesses. Um, met a lot of great people there. Um, I'm part of a, a couple of different Slack communities of of people doing this kind of thing, and that's really great. It's having having communities of other folks who are doing similar things that I can bounce ideas off of and talk about, you know, successes and frustrations and, and all that kind of thing. And, you know, Twitter's a great place for that too. Um, you know, Twitter's the only social network I'm active on. And there's a lot of this, you know, bootstrapper community is very active on Twitter and there's a lot of good folks on there um, to follow and to get ideas from and inspiration and all that. Great. Well, I've learned a lot about your journey and about, building a Heroku add-on from scratch in your spare time and a successful one at that. So listeners, you can find Rails Autoscale at railsautoscale.com and of course in the Heroku Elements marketplace. So thank you so much for joining Codish, Adam. This has been a great conversation. Thanks a lot, Corey. This has been a lot of fun. I appreciate you inviting me to be on here. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Codish podcast. Codish is produced by Heroku, the easiest way to deploy, manage, and scale your applications in the cloud. If you'd like to learn more about Codish or any of Heroku's podcasts, please visit heroku.com slash podcasts.